out down by the creek where the water goes slow The greenback heron and the moccasin know All things come to him who waits yet He is lost who hesitates uh, Life and death just dancing around in a mud Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. The, the great Guy Clark kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm your host, Cable Smith, and there is no place I'd rather be than talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thank you so much for being here today. Man, it is a wonderful time of year as, can you believe it, spring turkey is only two weeks away for the south zone. And I guess uh, the majority of the country probably are still a month or more away from their opening day. But uh, South Texas gets the party started early, and I can't wait. You know I'll be heading down there. Uh, also, uh, doing a little bass fishing this weekend on the Brazos. So we'll see if I can beat that personal best 6.7-pound uh, largemouth. Not a giant. I'm sure many of y'all have caught bigger ones. Uh, but looking forward to hopefully breaking that this weekend. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you, by the way. So, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. You know, the one your granddad passed down that still has mud caked on it from the 2010 duck season. Because we are ready to get things going here. Off the top, we'll be joined by our old friend... Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. The uh, the 22 Creedmoor is a fascinating and relatively new round that is not your granddaddy's 22. Uh, this thing packs a wallop, and you wouldn't think that you could hunt big game with the 22 caliber, uh, but Derek tells us why that is far from reality when it comes to the 22 Creedmoor. Uh, so we will dive into that caliber here in great detail. After that, we'll be joined by our old buddy and Botech, Chris Lutzinger, who recently had one of his family pets, a 30-pound Australian Shepherd, ripped out of his backyard and killed by coyotes. And I'm talking, they took it out from underneath a six-foot wooden privacy fence. So, uh, after mourning, and you know the kids obviously were greatly affected by this, his entire family was, uh, but after dealing with it, Chris decided, well, what am I going to do to make sure this doesn't happen to my other pets? And so he uh, he started doing a little urban coyote trapping. That's right. Right there in his neighborhood, in the city. And, and with no previous trapping experience, Chris has been able to make a significant difference as he's been knocking down the uh, the local urban coyote population. So fascinating stuff coming up with Chris. And then we'll wrap up today's broadcast by uh, going back to that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. A longtime listener will join us in studio. Carter Copeland will head this way from San Antonio. He's an avid Stanley Thermos collector. He's got some that are over a century old, and there's a lot of history behind this company. Um, I mean, there's nothing better, in my opinion, than a piping hot cup of coffee on a cold morning in a duck or deer blind or, or maybe out chasing those... Uh, pre-spawn lunkers on the lake you know that cup of coffee will lift your spirits and so for that reason the stanley thermos has been a big part of my routine uh in the great outdoors and 
And so I'm thrilled to have Carter join us. He's got over 50 different Stanley thermoses, and, and some of them are military-issued. Uh, some were used on commercial airline flights, and then some are just like the ones that you and I take into the woods. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that discussion coming up here with Carter at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. A couple other things. Don't forget to send in your uh, March photo of the month submission. I'll announce the grand prize next week. Uh, but then our 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt black buck or axis deer with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, also, I've got a prize pack for today. We're going to go back to the old stealth cam well here. I've got a DS4K, uh, incredible digital quality video of their their top-of-the-line camera. And we'll give this away to, well, we'll just make everyone that texts in eligible, and then we'll do a drawing. So text in the word stealth. That's stealth, 214-289-7807. Whether you're listening live or tuning in later via the podcast, we'll accept all entries for the next week, and then we'll draw a winner and announce them on the air next weekend. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and get into the 22 Creedmoor. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey, it's Justin at DontTradeItIn.com. Have you ever felt like you didn't get enough for your trade-in at a car dealership? You probably didn't. Trade-ins usually become inventory, and most car dealerships are like other businesses. They want inventory costs to be as low as possible. DontTradeItIn.com buys vehicles for more, guaranteed. Are you worried about mechanical and or cosmetic issues? Not planning on replacing your vehicle? No problem. We'll still make you a cash offer. DontTradeItIn.com even buys customized, off-road, special interest, classic, and exotic vehicles. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com, answer some quick questions, and you get a cash bid on your vehicle in no time. DontTradeItIn.com or call or text us at 469-300-9669. Again, that's 469-300-9669. A rock steady point. A covey rises. Over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from TFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. I've been a-hunting these woods since I was seven years old. This shotgun was my granddad's, now it's mine to hold. I ain't never hurt no one except a turkey each year. And come Sunday morning, I'll be bending God's ear. damn religion. Favorites Austin Cunningham bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Power. Dallas Safari Club. Gable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, also, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players, our longtime presenting sponsors. Uh, we are about to get into the 22 Creedmoor. Uh, relatively new caliber, one that is far from your grandfather's <laughs> 22. 
And Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms will jump on with us here in just a second. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. And in addition to blinds and feeders, did you know All Seasons has a full lineup of barbecue pits and smokers? Yep, I've got one in my backyard. I use it every week. One of my favorite things to do is take a, a wild turkey, gut it, and shove a Lone Star beer in that bird's butt and throw it on the all-seasons smoker for about four hours. Oh, my God. Talk about tender deliciousness. Uh, check it out. You can find their full lineup of pits and smokers at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and talk some guns. Who doesn't like to talk guns, right? So let's do that now with our resident firearm expert, Derek Ratliff. You know, Derek, um, the 22 Creedmoor is kind of taken the industry by storm here of late. There's big things on the horizon, but this isn't your grandfather's 22. You know, I th when I think of a 22, I think of a little plinker that you're shooting uh, beer cans or squirrels with. Uh, but this caliber is capable of knocking down, you know, medium to big-sized game at distance. Yes, I mean, a great example of that is we had a customer just a couple months ago buy a, a 22 Creedmoor from us and was you know, hesitant on the big game side. But literally after he left, about an hour later, we get a phone call and he had dropped a pig at 415 yards with a 75-grain bullet. Wow. And so <laughs> you, know, you think the, the big advantage is just the speed and the recoil. So you know, we, we're building these a lot of times for kids as well, you know, not just varmint guns and not just deer guns. I mean, in Texas, you know, a lot of guys love their – 22 to 50 as their, you know, deer gun, but this just gives you that extra margin of error. But I mean, great example. We got a customer in Louisiana, a, you know, real good friend that we just for Christmas built his boy a 16 and a half inch barrel with a nine inch length of pool 22 Creedmoor. Wow. <laughs> so you start thinking, I mean, it's a little, a little bitty gun, but at the same time, I mean, the gun shot phenomenal and, and his kid can, can shoot it suppressed, low recoil and have, you know, no problem taken down. A, you know, larger game. And so it's, it's a cool entry cartridge for, you know, kids and youth that crosses over, you know, not just varmints, but, you know, like I said, I would have no problem shooting whitetail and mule deer with, with the round just because the energy levels are so high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've shot, uh, and, and many people shoot hogs with a 223 AR. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of kids these days, and, and you see it more and more, a lot of kids are shooting their first deer with, their dad's AR, you know, yep, two, two, three. Um, but oh, yeah. I think I'd rather have my son used to a bolt gun before an yeah. AR, you know? Exactly. You know, and, you know, I, I totally agree. And then, you know, I know a lot of, I'm not knocking the people that do it. it by all means, right, right. do whatever you want to do. Um, and right. I own two ARs, but when I hand it my kid, his first gun, I, I want it to be a bolt gun. I want it. That's the direction yeah. I want to go. No, I agree. And it, just, it, it feels more like, you know, the, the kind of guns that we were handed down to learn, you know, and be... Yeah, nostalgia, you know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I 100%. I mean, you see the you see the gun that I built, my my boy, and then oh, yeah. my intention is to do the same thing. Is we I have a 22 Creedmoor barreled action ready so that as soon as he's you know, learns on the 22, I can change out the barreled action, drop in the 22 Creedmoor, and now he has a legitimate hunting gun with the same, you know, with the same stock. Uh, and so the same feel, same everything, you know. I mean, the biggest, I guess the biggest thing, you know, we get asked on the 22 Creedmoor here recently is how does it really compare to, there's a, a 224 Valkyrie, which is a, a round that Federal did. And, and so, you know, we get that question a lot right now. That that round is significantly slower. I just want to point that 
out there, buddy. You know, it's running around 2,700 uh, feet per second with a 90-grain bullet. Um, our Creedmoors are running in the 33 range with that same bullet. Oh, wow. So significantly faster. I mean, I've got a 16-inch gun with an 80-grain bullet. feet per second faster. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, they're, they're both fast. 22s, but they're not even in the same, I mean, they're not even the same arena, yeah. um, you know, which, you know, where we really got started with it is, is um, one of the guys that's sponsored by Foxborough kind of came to us and uh, was looking for a fast 22 because these, these coyote competitions, right? And so when we do quite a few of those as well, and in the sense that, you know, you want to take down the game right there and not have to look for it, mm-hmm. not, you know, and so he was having a lot of issues in 22 to 50, not not taking them down with as much energy. And so we, we built that and I was talking to him and I actually did a tournament with him. We won a, a tournament here last weekend uh, with, with him both shooting 22 cream wars. And, you know, he's taken, I believe he said 90, 92 or 93 different uh, coyotes and bobcats this year with that round. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, I've had that happen plenty of times with, uh, with both the two, two, three and a 22, uh, Yep. you know, just putting pinholes in animals and yeah, exactly. kills them, but, you know, you, and even if you choose the right bullet, sometimes yeah, uh, it just doesn't it doesn't have that uh, knockdown power. Yeah, that uh, sounds like the no. twenty-two-two Creedmoor absolutely does. Um, what would you say if there is any detractor uh, for that caliber? What would it be? I say right right now the kind of the the the, the deal is. There's no real major factory ammo available, right? So a lot of guys are hand loading. We we offer full length resizing die sets, um, competition cedar die sets. So mm-hmm. we actually have a lot of gun builders um, and other gun builders customers coming to us and buying dies. Is we're one of the few people that have you know die sets really designed for it. Um, you know, that's that's probably the biggest negative. You know, we're we're loading ammo for it. Copper Creek, which is a, what I would consider an upper mid major, is loading a lot of ammo for it. And Dallas Custom Reloads, Chad, right there in your neck of the woods, um, just talked to him yesterday. He's got several thousand rounds there in stock. Hmm. Uh, so it is available. Um, but, you know, from what we – the pulse that we feel in the industry, you know, that whole factory ammo thing is definitely changing, and it's changing rather rapidly. So, you know, I, I expect just, uh, you know, before too long for that to be – available much like the six five Creedmoor is available, you know, through a lot of different offerings. So, you know, we're kind of looking for that. Um and I would say that really is the the only negative. You know, we can get people ask us a lot about barrel life, you know, how long does it really last? Well, I've got a little over eleven hundred shots of mine. Um one of the first five guns we built, I was talking to that customer just about two months ago and he's got uh, around twenty six hundred through his, which is a lot. I mean that's a lot of shots for a fast fast gun. So you know, it does range somewhere in the 1,200 to 2,000 normally as far as shots, but man, that's a lot of shooting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I don't own a rifle that I've put 1,100 rounds through. <laughs> just, right. You know, I I take them to the range, I sight them in, and then yep. they do what they're supposed to do in the field, which is kill animals. Yep. And uh, and I think a lot of our listeners are the same way. Um, yep. You and I have talked in depth about the. Uh, increasing popularity of long-range shooting, and it's something that is fascinating to me, and yep. that I would like to do more of. But like I said, I just I don't. For for most of our listeners, I don't think barrel life is truly an issue. You know. Right. No, I understand. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I I totally get, it. and that's the way I am with most of my you know hunting rifles. Now, this t- the 22, I just enjoy shooting so much because of the recoil so low. You know, 16-inch gun suppressed, I and mean, it's just fun to shoot. But 
you know, my, my hunting guns, I'm the same way. We get them, get them set up like you want them and, yeah. and, uh, you know, and then use them when you need to use them. You know, I, it's kind of one of those deals. I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. We, we, we moved back our Africa trip to 19. So we're going to Africa 19. We're not going in 18, but I just hooked up with a guy, uh, in Alaska and a buddy of mine and I are going to do a drop camp, Alaska, like spike camp trip, uh, in, in September for caribou, and I cannot wait. <laughs> and what, and Derek, what do you, what distance do you want to shoot the caribou at? Man, it, it you know, what's interesting is I, I'm using that. Are you going to pass field. on a 200 yard shot and be like, nah, I, I want to shoot nah. at 700? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm looking for the best that I can understand. I haven't done it. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that have and with this outfit and everything. Is it's more like figuring out what characteristics you want on the caribou, and if you get lucky and you're in the right spot you know, you, you pick the one that you like the best. Um, and they're either there or they're not there, but if don't, <laughs> I have two guys tell me, don't hesitate because if they walk by you and you didn't shoot it, then you go, Oh, I really wanted that one. It's over. You know, that they're already, <laughs> they're long gone. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it's kind of neat. We, we, I wanted to do something unique. Uh, well, that will be. <laughs> and, yeah. And basically it's a seven day trip. You know, uh, they you fly in the Cozabi and they go about 110 miles out in the middle of nowhere and drop you off and pick you up a week later. So, Nice. I am looking forward to that. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> Horizon will still be represented well in South Africa this year because uh, we're, we're yeah. going back with Carl. And uh, and a, you've got a pretty good crew going, man. Yeah, I think there's six of us uh, so far, so it's going to awesome. be a good trip. And and here's a little uh, here's a funny story just about the precision nature of, of Horizon Firearms. Uh, so you built me my seven mag. Gosh, it's been mm-hmm. three years. I think. Oh man, that's crazy! It yeah. didn't feel like that long. Well, I'm looking at this black bear in the studio, and that was the first animal I shot with it, and mm-hmm. I think that was in that, that was in the spring of 2015. Nice. So crazy. I uh, we met up somewhere because you guys are based out of the college station. I think we met halfway. Mm-hmm. You gave me the gun. I put it on the airplane, and I never had even shot it until we got to camp, and I shot it one time. It was dead nuts. <laughs> the next time I pulled the trigger, a uh, 400 pound black bear died. So <laughs> there you go. That's what we, that's what we want. Like, yeah. Yeah. Setting them up the right way, like you know, that's that's fun, man. Yeah. And I man, I didn't realize it had been so long. We worked together for a while now. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been time flies. And that gun is it, it's uh it's still doing what it what it did from day one. So. That's awesome. Um, so what do you what is number one on your list this year? You did pretty good last. year. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think Inyala is going to be number one this year. There you go. There you uh, go. Last year was kudu, and I I would still like to shoot another kudu if. Uh, and, really? and the reason yeah. why is just because that hunt was so fun. Uh, yeah. Remind me of of our elk hunting back home in yeah. the mountains, and and you tell people that, and they're like, really, kudu is like, uh, I think a lot of people, and I did have this misconception that Africa was flat, savanna, big herds yeah. of animals, and you just kind of take your pick. No, yeah. I mean it was a lot of time behind the glass, mm-hmm. looking through spotting scopes, finding the animal. And and this is up in the mountains, you know, and and getting into position to take a. I think we still shot him at 300 yards, nice. uh, maybe a, a tad yeah. over. Um, and so uh, yeah, it was a a full day hunt just to get that get that one animal on the ground. And so yeah, awesome. so if there's another uh, opportunity for a kudu, I'd be silly to pass that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, talking about you know, just a little side note, I would encourage everybody, you know, John Exum and the guys, Carl. I thought wrote a really good uh, blog, really good article, just about long range shooting and how it's adapted their, you know, their camp and 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 their outfit, um, and kind of just their general stance on the long range hunting side of things because they're one of the few outfitters that I think cater to that, mm-hmm. and I think people have a misnomer, you know, about you know 
what what that means. But man, those guys are fully educated. I've taken multiple long range courses, and uh, you know, if, if you're if you're into long range hunting, you know, whatever that may be, or into just Africa in general, and they're they're, I mean, you can attest to it too. They're a great group of guys to go with. Oh yeah, yeah. So most of the shots for me were between 300 and 375, I'd say. Nice. nice. Might, I think I shot the zebra at 180, um, but the rest of them it was pretty. You know, that was pretty standard, and that's yep. longer than what I shoot at in Texas. You know. I oh mean, yeah. For me, 375 yards. Other than a coyote, that was the farthest shot I've taken on a big game animal. That's awesome. And so one day Carl was like, "Let's push it a little bit," and uh, he lined me up for. Uh, we stocked up to some wildebeest, and it was 575. Nice. And the thing about nice. going back to Carl is he calls, you know, he calls the wind and and tells you to make, you know, whatever system you're running. He's like, here's what you need to do. He called the wind at five miles an hour. I shot, and the bullet drifted just outside of the the uh, basically went right in front of the the wildebeest. Yep. And he said, oh dang it, that was my fault. The wind's actually 10 miles an hour. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so he, no, he, he blamed yeah, himself it's, for it's, it, and I was like, well, well yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, and that's the piece of long range that can be pretty, you know, humbling is on the wind side, which is, you know, just kind of circling, you know, around the conversation we've had today, and that's why, like that, the 22 is so much, the 22 Creedmoor is so much better than a lot of your other 22 rounds, and really, you know, ballistically, not energy. Don't hear me say energy, but ballistically, when it comes to drift and drop. It's very similar to a 300 Ultra Mag in the sense that what you dial to is almost identical, which mm. gives you kind of a perspective. Um, you know, when you're shooting heavy bullets and and shooting them fast, you know, misjudging the wind, you miss by less. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Um, well, so let me ask you this: Does this caliber have a place in long range shooting competitions in the future? Yes, I think it very much does, and I think that's what you're seeing. Um, there's some new bullets that. You know, Sierra is coming out with, you know, in the 90-plus range. Uh, you know, Berger's got some 90-plus range for 22-caliber bullets. And what we're seeing is that people are realizing that, you know, that flight time, that speed, is, and the low recoil to be able to see impact is super important. But uh, the one thing that we see a little bit of a struggle with it is when we run the numbers, a 90-grain with the 22-cremor is awesome. Don't hear me say that it's not. But an 80-grain, even though the BC is not as good, an 80 grain because it's so fast, actually better, but you know, drop and drift. But it packs so much, uh, you know, speed and energy that a lot of your competitions are not allowing it because it's so fast. So oh, wow. I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to this, this caliber. I think is going to gradually cause some of these tournaments to kind of relook at their uh, their speed rules. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think uh, you know, a lot of people were. You know, used to certain kind of fast rounds, destroying their steel and all this kind of stuff. Well, now you've got a, a fairly explosive varmint bullet that's not overly hard, but hard enough to hunt with that has some pretty ma- amazing velocities that you can watch impacts at. I mean, you know, I got a new, we, we tested out and we're going to do a, a, a blog post on the new RevX scope, the digital scope that does all the adjustments and everything for you. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, sh- we shop a 22 Creedmoor. At 100 yards, got the speed, plugged it into the scope, and dialed what the scope said. And I could not have been more center at 600 yards, and left a pretty good whop on you know on the steel. And you could watch it the entire time. You know, yeah. it's just that's that's the beauty of it. Awesome, awesome. And and I think last time we talked about, um, well, last time you shot in a uh, a long range competition, mm-hmm. you said the most common calibers were uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, yep, the 7 Mag, and then I believe the, some guys were shooting 300 Win Mags. Yeah, you see, you see a lot of the sevens and a lot of the six fives, and like the PRCs now coming on. So you uh-huh. see some guys in the three hundreds, but yeah, you you definitely the high the high BC bullet, the six five, 
um, is is definitely the, the the big one right now. But you know, when you when you really compare it, this twenty two is very comparable, mm. a lot you know a lot less recoil. And so I, I think, and maybe I'll be wrong. Somebody you know a couple of years from now may say, hey, you said this, and I was on. <laughs> it didn't happen, but <laughs> it would very much it, it would surprise me a lot uh, if this cartridge when it you know when when you see it go mainstream. If it doesn't really hook and jab at you know the, the six five cream more in, in terms of popularity, hmm. um, I think you'll I think you'll re, you know, really see it come on. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it, and, and people like people may be rolling their eyes at home, but I think two and a half to three years from now, it will be one of the most popular calibers uh, out there. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's exciting stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. cool. Um, well, you guys can find uh, all of the beautiful rifles that Horizon makes, and and actually, uh, if you want to spec out your own rifle, uh, yeah. any way you want, they will do that as well. Whatever caliber, you name it, um, and you can find it at HorizonFirearms.com. Also, their sister company, Iota Outdoors, they've got yeah. um, all kinds of precision shooting stuff there from. Uh, backcountry friendly stocks like the uh, what is that? That's the Crux, I think. That's the Crux, yeah. It's 27 ounces. That's what I've got on my rifle. Now yep. you've got you've still got the Kremlin, the OG, the yep. original gangster. That's what I call it. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, the clutch. We got the clutch, which is a new clutch, adjustable yeah. cheek piece. And then I guess a couple other things just to mention. Um, we we have we have 22 creedmorecom is a new website that we're working on. It directs you some information there. We have a 22 Creedmoor Facebook group I joined, um, yeah. that we just started. Yeah, if you watch that one, uh, here within the next day or so, we're going to be doing a special deal um, on a group buy. And let me, and just to explain it, uh, we're going to do seven guns and seven guns only at a highly, highly discounted price. Um, they're going to be full custom builds. Um, you know, kind of one. The, the, they're all going to be the same threaded. Drop bottom metal, good triggers, the, the whole setup, guaranteed like we don't always do. Um, but we're going to do them around the $3,200 price range on a gun that's normally in the four to $4,200 price range. So you know it's going to be a, a pretty big discount um, just because we, we you know we want to stand behind that 22 Creed more and get a few more in the guy's hands and uh, you know let let other people see kind of what this round can do. So we decided we were going to do a special deal. Um, kind of rolling off of our Facebook Live that we just did with David about the 20 degree mark. Right on. Well, hey, Derek, we certainly appreciate it, man. I'll be uh, yep. looking forward to following along on your caribou adventure. Yeah. And, uh, definitely on my bucket list as well. So I'll be living yeah. vicariously through you on that one. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it as always. Take care, bud. Catch you later. A good friend, Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms and IOTA Outdoors. Always enjoy talking precision shooting with him. Uh, that segment brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com. Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Coming up next as the Wiley Coyote continues to figure out ways to scratch out a living in places that don't really make sense, especially urban environments, that is causing increased uh, conflict for humans and especially their pets. Uh, so we'll discuss a little urban coyote trapping with our friend Chris Lutzinger. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm rolling so fast now, like a bullet from a gun. 
Knowing there's just one thing I know that I just cannot run. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. The day they laid Guapacho low, left his split for Ohio, and where he got the bread to go. Oh, there ain't nobody knows. And all the Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. And thank you guys and gals for being here. Towns Van Zant to Classic there, Poncho and Lefty. There have been many renditions of that tune, and uh, the original is still tough to beat, though, in my opinion, as we are actually about to talk about a couple characters named Poncho and Lefty with our old friend Chris Lutzinger. Uh, but before we do a little urban coyote trapping, <laughs> this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, hunter education, and, of course, conservation. To do so, please check us out. You can go to our website, biggame.org. All right. Uh, well, as I alluded to, um, this next segment is going to be about urban coyote trapping. Because give the coyote credit. I mean, if there's a more adaptable mammal in North America, I haven't seen it. Uh, surely um, there is no more adaptable predator. Because of that, we are seeing increased human-coyote conflict. And that was the case at the Lutzinger household in recent weeks. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show, man. Always great to visit with you. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks. Great to be back. Absolutely. Uh, so first of all, how are you liking that new elite ritual? I am absolutely loving that bow. <laughs> Hands down, the easiest bow to tune. Uh -huh. And I tune a lot of them here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm waiting on mine to arrive. Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess I need to find a good bow tech to help me set it up. <laughs> I think I can find you one. <laughs> yeah, and so you've been, what, you quit your day job to get into archery full-time, what, two years ago? Uh, I think this will be my fourth. Four years, golly, man. Yes. Time flies. Yeah, and, and you've been at Cinnamon Creek ever since then. Um, but yes. As far as today's topic of discussion, it really has absolutely nothing to do with archery or bow hunting for that matter. Um, let me ask you, first of all, where you live. 
I live in Denton. In an urban area? Uh, yes. And so... We've got um, houses close by. I mean, we, we live in a subdivision, and mm-hmm. I have probably 10 neighbors uh-huh. that are on our in our subdivision. Okay. And everyone has, like, a fenced yard? Yes. Okay. We've got a eight-foot privacy or a six-foot privacy fence around our yard. We're on three... Uh, three quarters of an acre. Uh huh. Okay. And so you've got uh, all your neighbors have fenced yards. Um, yes. And is are there like woods or anything around you there, or what's what's in close proximity to your subdivision? There's a green belt that follows on the back perimeter of our of our property, and it kind of circles around our entire subdivision. And that creek that runs through it actually filters into Lake Louisville. Uh huh. So there's there's a lot of wildlife that that travels through there. Sure, sure. Now, have you always noticed a lot of coyote activity in your neighborhood? Um, when we first moved in, we actually had a uh, couple of bobcats that hung around, and you know I have zero issues with with bobcats. I don't think they really predate on people's pets. Um, they do keep the the rat and uh, rabbit population in check. Um, I know in other areas on ranches and stuff, you do need to manage them for the wildlife. But Well, it depends on the size of your dog, I guess, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it does, yeah. If you had like a Pomeranian, um, we might be saying, you know, might be yeah. singing a different tune. But um, but I have seen um, an increased activity in the coyote population. And I've I've always given them a wide berth. You know, they, you don't mess with me. I'm, I'm not going to do anything to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had seen them on the perimeter of our subdivision, but um, we were the third house in the subdivision. There was there were two houses that were built years before ours, and the oldest resident there, they actually had a problem with coyotes, and they told us about it when we first moved in. They had a chihuahua that was taken from basically their feet while they were standing outside letting it use the restroom. It came through their front yard and ran off with their chihuahua. So this, this lady was very devastated and this was eight or nine years ago and she's still extremely shaken up about it. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a family member that she just, you know, yeah. watched get carried off for a snack. And, uh, and, and this is happening. And the reason why we're discussing this is, this is, um, I hate to say it, it's not becoming the norm, but it's becoming more and more common. And I mean, I live in McKinney, in a big neighborhood and I've seen coyotes in the green belt in front of my house in broad daylight, you know, noon. And here's a yeah. coyote running down. Yeah, my kids play there. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying a coyote's going to attack a kid, but uh, a mangy or sick one might, you know, you don't know what a wild animal's going to do. And um, I mean, they are predators. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they see what they justify as a weakness or easy prey, they're going to go after it regardless of species. Yeah. And now you have pets, correct? I do. Uh-huh. And their names are, or well, one of them's no longer with us, but Poncho and Lefty. Correct. Poncho and Lefty, yes. They were named after the uh, Merle Haggard tune. Right. Well, and Towns Van Zandt actually wrote that song, which yes. we played in the uh, yes. the intro here, yes. but it's probably the least well-known <laughs> out of all the <laughs> versions. So walk us through what happened with Poncho and Lefty, and, and if you'd ever had uh, any issues with the coyotes bothering them previously. Okay. You know, you asked me earlier if we'd ever had any issues with, with coyotes. Um, 
I've had them tie eye and challenge howl in our front yard before, um, which prompted me to run up outside and run them off. Um, I previously had a blackmouth cur that would check the perimeter of our yard. And I mean, you could see that just going down the yard. You could see where he had worn down a path around the fence. Mm -hmm. So I always knew there was something traveling through there, but I believe he kept them at bay per se. Now he probably weighed um, what, 60 pounds or so? Yeah, he was about 65, 70 pounds. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and then Poncho and Lefty, they were miniature Australian shepherds, 12 years old, um, super sweet dogs. I mean, great family pets, fam family members. Mm -hmm. uh, the kids loved them, played with them all the time. Um, and I had noticed prior to the incident, I had noticed there had been some increased activity along our perimeter fence outside the fence. I'd seen where an animal had been walking, pacing up and down the fence. And now I know they were lurking, looking for a, a soft spot or, or a weakness in the fence. And um, Thanksgiving morning or Thanksgiving night, early, probably three o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, um, my wife and I both heard a, a shrieking howl and I just assumed it was a coyote close to the bedroom window howling, which that's the edge of our fence is right outside that window. Um, we both shot up in bed. Did you hear that? Yeah, that was crazy. Um, and I jumped up, went outside and when I opened the door, lefty tore in the door right behind me, pushed through me, got inside. And so I started calling and whistling for Poncho and he didn't come and he's usually the one that's right there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went outside the yard calling, whistling. And so, I mean, this, this took, you know, a matter of a few minutes probably, and he just did not respond. So I unlocked the gate and went out. And when I went through the gate, there were two coyotes within 20 yards of me right on the corner of the fence. And they looked back and kind of shuffled, you know, not really ran off because they weren't scared. They've lost their fear of humans. Mm -hmm. And that'll get us to something else down the yeah. road. But I'm sure I could hear something in the leaves, in the, in the brush, walking, pacing. And I didn't want to tell my wife what happened. She kept asking me, what, what do you think? What is, what's going on? What's going on? And so I went inside, you know, got some shoes and stuff and a flashlight and started, I walked into the brush looking, um, and of course they had gone. I assumed that he had just gotten out and was hiding and was scared. Uh -huh. Um, just because the coyotes that I saw did not have, they didn't act like they had anything, like they were protecting anything. Um, plus he's a 30 pound dog, 28 to 30 pound dog. And these, yeah, a big coyote weighs 40 pounds. Texas. I mean, yes, the coyote is, is yes. not much bigger than that. Yes. You know, I searched up and down, that green belt as far as I could get through the green briars and brush in the dark at three o'clock in the morning. Um, went back inside sleepless night, went to work the next morning and just couldn't, couldn't really cope thinking that, you know, where is he mm -hmm. came home and searched from one end of the Creek to the next, just trying to find some type of, of closure. Sure. And when I got back to our fence, I could actually see, uh, some tufts of hair and there were three panels of the fence where when they pulled him out from under the fence they pulled those panels off 
That's was, the most incredible was, thing. Uh, I mean, obviously, as I told you when we talked about this originally, very sorry for your loss, but for for them to rip a family member out of the yard through a through a, a wooden fence is that that's something I didn't know they were capable of doing. Yeah, and you know, growing up in the outdoors like you and I have, um, you know, I've I've picked up a lot of stuff. I knew, I mean, I know that coyotes will bait a dog out. Um, they like nothing more than to, to kill a dog. That's why baiting dogs work so well when you're predator hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, not only do they want to feed, but they also are very territorial. And I'm assuming that's what, that's what I was noticing. You know, they're pacing up and down that fence and they're trying to coax that dog out, trying to get, trying to get their teeth in them and, and, you know, whatever they, and it, it really hurts to think about what he endured with that. Mm-hmm. Well, so they got, they got Poncho, uh, and, and then now Lefty doesn't even want to go outside. He doesn't, he, yes, he won't step off the back porch unless somebody goes with him. Uh-huh. So, uh, obviously. And even the children are afraid to, to go out. Oh, yeah. Alone. Oh, and they've lost a, you know, how old are your kids? They are six and eight. And Boy. so they've never known life without Poncho and Lefty. Correct. Well, Chris, uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, now that we do have this backstory, though, as to what happened to Poncho and your family, uh, let's take a quick break, come back, and discuss your resolve because you've kind of become uh, a neighborhood hero, somewhat of a vigilante and hell on coyotes. Sound like a plan? Oh, for sure. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Hey, if you've got a coyote problem, one way to deal with them would be to grab the latest Pulsar Trail thermal imaging scope. They've got an entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics. And get this, you'll save 20% off any of those optics if you use my promo code Lone Star when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Well, up next, some urban coyotes are fixing to get dealt with. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. 
Tahi lady spitting at the Nicker Jacks. Businessman with a needle and a spoon. Coyote chewing on a cigarette pack of young boys going howling at the moon. Head darling, sleeping on the black top. That's the music of Culture Wall bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you as we are rocking and rolling, um, talking a little urban coyote trapping. That's right. We got the background behind our buddy Chris Lutzinger's unfortunate situation where a pack of coyotes essentially no, not essentially. They did pull his dog underneath a six-foot wooden privacy fence, killed it. Actually, they never even found any any remnants of the dog, uh, Poncho, a thirty-pound Australian Shepherd, and I mean that's relatively the same size as most coyotes out there. They're they're rarely pushing forty pounds. Uh, so we're gonna figure out what Chris did, how he dealt with this situation here momentarily. But first, this segment. Of the program is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and a great way to celebrate snaring any old coyote, that's for sure. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. All right, uh, well, Chris, we certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. Like I said, we've got the backstory on what happened. Uh, so, Poncho's gone, uh, ripped from your backyard, carried off, and devoured by coyotes. So, where did that leave you, my friend, as far as how you decided to deal uh, with this situation? So my my biggest issue was, um, you know, discharging a firearm in city limits is, is definitely a, a no-go mm-hmm. um, in a situation like this. Um, so I had to come up with some course of action where I could have an impact on the population without endangering anybody around me. Um, so what I, you know, I thought about, uh, you know, of course I was thought, you know, I'm going to grab a gun, I'm going to call them in and I'm going to shoot them. Right. You know? Um, and you know, I was able, you know, I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. So, you know, why, why don't I just call them in and shoot them with a bow? Well, that's not as easy as it sounds to do. Now I will tell you initially after this happened, I put out my Fox pro call from my second story window and I called in, coyotes within seconds mm-hmm. within two days of this happening we noticed the neighbor's dogs barking and i went and opened the window and and i called a coyote out and five seconds later another one came out with them so they were not scared to be that close to humans mm-hmm. so i did a little bit of research um i thought about doing some leg hold traps and you know with the kids around and possibly Regardless of whether it's our property or not, there could be somebody trespassing and could possibly step in the trap, and I don't want to have that on my head. Sure. So I came up with setting some snares. I looked at some YouTube videos, contacted a friend of mine with the outdoor group that does a lot of trapping in Minnesota, and he gave me a few pointers, and um, I actually went and purchased some Minnesota trap line products. There's wire snares. And, you know, just kind of fell back on my woodsmanship that I feel like I've learned over the past 40 years and mm-hmm. uh, set some snares. And so you had no experience in trapping. And, and I'm fascinated by this because of really the whole situation, like we said, this is becoming uh, more and more of a, of a problem as coyotes. And give coyotes credit. I mean, hell, 
as far as an adaptable species, I don't think there's a more adaptable uh, species in North America. I mean, I agree. They are. I agree. They can make a living. Extremely intelligent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they can scratch out a living anywhere. Uh, New York City or your neighborhood or or, uh, the roughest country that you can find in North America. It doesn't matter. Um, You'll find coyotes there. And so a lot of respect uh, for this species. But uh, you decide to set these snares. And where did you set them exactly as far as how did you know where where to set them? I'm just envisioning here's your wooden fence. Where are you putting these snares in order to intercept these coyotes? I went off the fact of, of where they where they abstracted him from the fence. Mm-hmm. And I knew they were traveling that pattern. The night that we went out there, um, I knew how they were crossing our fence line and following the, the, the wood line. So I set snares along that path and then in the tree line, you could see in the leaves where animals have been moving through, and so I set them on those those trails. Um, you set you set your snare along that that natural path, and set a um, a duck stick across it where they have to duck down and go through it, and that that kind of funnels them into that, so you get a, a humane snare mm-hmm. with it. So you're putting something on top of the snare to make to force them to go down yes okay that's interesting because you know i just got back from that trap line trip in british columbia and they were putting they called it a chin lift and they put a stick under the snare to lift it up to force them to not be able to go under it i think that was because of the snow um yes yeah but that's that's uh fascinating not something i have to deal with here yeah no (laughs) at least not yet (laughs) Yeah. yeah so you put a duck stick they put a chin lift interesting um so how long did it take you to catch the first uh, perpetrator? I believe it was about a week and a half, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened that it was a weekend that I wasn't deer hunting. And I, um, the kids, the wife and kids, or actually, sorry, the wife had gone somewhere that morning. So I was home with the kids and I went out to run my trap line. And I can't tell you how excited I was to turn the corner to go into my backyard and see a coyote staring at me forlornly. Yeah. Um, and so there was actually two in that snare. It was a large female and a slightly smaller female. So I believe the, the larger female was the matriarch of the pack. And this was one of her daughters probably from last year. Mm-hmm. She wasn't adult. Um, she wasn't a pup. Mm-hmm. So it, it was probably a week and a half, two weeks. And then it was possibly, a another week before I caught my, my next one. Yeah. And these were, so you told me you're up to eight now. Um, I'm up to eight. Yes. Yeah. And right here in your neighborhood. Uh, and the first five were all females. You said the last three have all been males, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And so after I caught the first three and they were, you know, all three large adult females, I, um, I contacted my buddy Jake and asked him, and I said, you know, it's it's kind of weird. I feel like I'm doing something wrong because all I'm catching is females, and there, I mean, there should be males in this pack. These are these are the smart ones, right? These are the ones that are doing the most damage. And um, he said, no, you know, your females are are together now. The only time you're going to catch a male is is really during the breeding season. Hmm. And for him, the breeding season was pretty much then December, um, early part of January. Um, but for us, it's just now really starting. Yeah. So, you know, and, and 
you know, knowing that, I realized that, you know, I've, I've, I've always felt, you know, in hunt, calling coyotes for years since I was a kid, you know, the females are the ones that are very sneaky. They'll come in very slow and cautious. The males come charging in and it's, you know, it's probably an aggression. Sure. I also, but that's also their detriment. And so now they're all out looking for love and that's why you've caught here recently. The last three have all been males. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, and honestly, one of them, I did him a favor. Um, he was so covered in mange and, and parasites that this, the, the weather we're going through right now, it would have been the most miserable few days of his life, probably, yeah. if he had survived until now. And so about how many snares would you say you have out, Chris? Because we're just talking um, about, essentially, you're, you know, you said you live on three quarters of an acre, but you're you're basically mm-hmm. setting these right around in your backyard. Mm-hmm. So how many do you do you have out at a time? Well, I usually only, I only have about six out at a time. Uh-huh. And so every every time I catch one, pretty much that snare is done. Sure. But, Either the snare is so damaged that it's not useful it loses anymore, its tension. or it loses its tension. It's, yeah. it's so twisted up that it, it's just not it's not quick enough to to catch anything. Yeah. And um, the other thing is is the ground is is very disturbed, so it no longer looks like a like a path to them. So they'll they'll go around it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I usually have to move, so I'm I'm honestly running out of places that I can put them to where I can. You know, keep them keep them hidden. Yeah. And also, um, you know, where it won't affect anybody else surrounding me. Sure. Well, you've you've caught eight in a matter of months, uh, so I'd say that that you've definitely knocked down the population. Uh, the females aren't coming around, so maybe you've, uh, you know, at least temporarily, because they will move back in eventually. Uh, but all you can do is is uh, is keep setting those snares and keep trying to uh, keep them away from. From your subdivision, I agree. So, and I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't even know if it's legal or not. But I, who cares? Who's, I'll tell you what. It's not going to happen. The city's not going to help you. Your HOA isn't going right. to do anything about it. So right. sometimes you just have to, you know, man up and and uh, kick some ass on your own. And I have questioned a game warden on you know the 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 trapping in the city limits is perfectly legal. You know, as far as license requirements, and you know, hunting license is all you need. You don't need a fur bearer's license um, unless you're selling the hides, mm-hmm. which our hides aren't uh, worth a dime. So yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Texas, I mean, by the uh, time you tan them, you lost money on the deal. Correct. Yeah, and you know, I, I honestly feel that it's the lack of a fear of humans that is that has caused this. People no longer people no longer hunt coyotes. We're encroaching on their on their living area, and you know, urban sprawl is. It's, it's going to happen. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way to stop that. I mean, it's just going to happen. Populations are growing. We just need to make sure that that these animals know that they still need to fear humans. Yeah. Because one day a dog, the next day somebody's kid, and it's yeah. it's just like we talked earlier. As soon as they perceive it as a as a prey item, it's done. It's a done deal. Yeah. And and it's not it's not like it's never happened. Uh, a jogger was killed. I can't remember which state it was, it was uh, up north, but uh, yeah, she was attacked and killed by a pack of coyotes. It was about four years ago, I want to say. Uh, so it's not like it's it's couldn't happen or hasn't happened. It's it's definitely something that has happened, and as human-coyote interaction keeps increasing, it's probably going to uh, occur more and more, to be honest with you. Uh, I agree. Now, as far as keeping your scent off of those... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. 
Well, I was going to say, if they can bring down a 200-pound, you know, trophy buck, yep. which we've seen that, we've seen pictures, trail camera pictures of that, why couldn't they take down a 130-pound woman or a 120-pound woman, you know? Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's, they can do it. Absolutely. For a, for a 30-pound child. Yeah. And that's, and that was a very commonly used jogging trail, uh, which I'm sure those coyotes ran into people all the time. And like you said, lost that fear. Um which ultimately resulted in in her death, which is unfortunate. Now, um, as far as one other question I had for you, though, if anyone's listening out there and they've had this uh, same situation, or maybe this will inspire them to take preventative measures so that their poncho isn't ripped out of their backyard, how are you covering your scent when setting those snares? Or do these coyotes Uh, not really care? Because, like you said, they're so used to being around people that it doesn't matter. And I... you know, I thought about that. Um, I do wear leather gloves mostly when I'm when I'm setting them, uh-huh. so that kind of covers up some of the odor. But yes, I mean, in the situation we're in, human odor is not. They they smell humans on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm mean, hell. They're right it, there at your house. Honestly, so. it could be more of an attractant to them. Yeah. You know, they there's there's um, trash that they could go into. There's you know they they've just lost the fear. Yeah. Well, and those guys up there in BC, you know, they would take a, uh, they were real particular. It had to be a balsam fir, plenty of mm-hmm. pines and firs in the forest, but it always they always chose the same tree, and uh, pulled some needles off and rubbed them on their hands. It was real, real mm-hmm. aromatic uh, smell, and and they used that to help cover up, especially with the with the wolves and coyote snares that didn't really affect the lynx or wolverine or anything like that. But uh, uh, well, and we've got cedars here in my you know, in that same area. And so, mm-hmm. you know, several times I've, I've cut those for, you know, to make my little funnel areas. Um, mm-hmm. I try to keep it as natural looking as possible. So a few cedar balls, you know, you break, break those up, cover that provides a pretty good cover scent as well. But, you know, honestly, I don't believe it, it is, has hindered anything. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, Fascinating stuff, man, and and you know here here we've got uh, an urban trapping situation based off necessity, really, and it's a cool, uh, well, it's not a cool story, but it's it's um, you know I applaud your effort as a result of what what happened uh, with your pet. So I think other people will Thank find you. it uh, inspiring to say the least. I will tell you that um, everybody in the neighborhood I have kept them up to date with my uh, successes uh-huh. and um, as as I told you earlier the, the older couple that lives in our neighborhood every time I send him a picture he he just thanks me and tells me how much he loves me and how much what I'm doing and how happy he's made that I'm making his wife with with mm-hmm. you know a little bit of justice for for her puppy that she lost yeah. years ago yeah. well and I'll tell you this you know I've noticed that it's it's only people that don't have any any skin in the game that seem to have a problem with it. You know, up in BC, the whole community is behind the wolf trapping because they depend on moose for food, income, tourism, all that stuff. And so they're 100% behind the trappers, just like your neighborhood's behind you. And it's only people that don't have a vested interest that get on social media and scream and cry and, and bitch about uh, the work that you know, trapping does. So it's sad, really, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the people that are there, yeah, you just want to say bless your heart sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Well, hey, man, I certainly appreciate your time, Chris. Uh, Thank you. And I'll be up there as soon as I get that ritual in. I'll uh, I know where I can find a good bow tech. All right. I think you've set I think you've set up my last three or four bows. So, <laughs> uh, and Chris also offers lessons. You know, uh, Cinnamon Creek has a great staff up there, and and I've spent a lot of time shooting with you over the years. So, we'll do it again soon. All right. Let me know if I can help you out with anything. All right, brother. Take care. All right. You too. Our longtime buddy and bow technician, Chris Lutzinger. Uh, always great visiting with him. And that segment of the presentation, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue. We will be right back with something I think y'all will find very interesting. Uh, Carter Copeland, a longtime listener of the show, will join us in studio. He's an avid collector of something that most hunters and anglers typically have in their blind bag, hunting pack, or, or boat console, especially those coffee drinkers. I know I'm one of them. And we'll discuss it next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Night can believe in ghosts, but some nights I get pretty close. When the North Dakota when I'm on. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hi, I'm Fred Eichler, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You told me there was more to life than just getting by. If you want your dreams, the only limit is the sky. If you use your head, then you won't have to break your back. 
You told me how to drink my coffee. Black is the name of that one there from Travis Meadows. That's the way my grandfather drank his coffee, and that's the way that I drink it today. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you, thank you for tuning in to the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by Dallas Safari Club. It is great to be here talking outdoors with you as we're all set to discuss a very interesting topic regarding uh, a product that I bet the majority of us actually own and likely use on most of our hunting or fishing trips, especially during those cold weather months of the year. And I'm talking about a Stanley Thermos. <laughs> yep, that beat up old Stanley Thermos, that green one that might have been passed down to you from your dad or granddad. They've been around a long time. And one of our longtime listeners is here in studio. He's an avid collector of Stanley Thermoses. Uh, so, We'll jump into it with Carter Copeland momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been around for over 100 years, and they've been helping their borrowers finance their own piece of Texas, whether that's for hunting, recreating, uh, just just an escape from the city life, or uh, agriculture, or, or ranching, whatever the case. Lone Star Ag Credit will help you finance your piece of Texas. You know, land's the one thing they're not making any more of, so you better jump on it, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He made the trek from San Antonio all the way to the studio here. It's my pleasure to welcome Carter Copeland to the show. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me this morning. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, tell our audience... Uh, where you're from and what you enjoy uh, hunting or, or fishing for primarily? Well, Cable, I'm uh, I'm originally from Dallas. Now I've lived longer in San Antonio than I lived in Dallas, and but uh, Texas is my home, and I don't think I'll ever leave this great state. Yeah, and I um, I am not a hunter. I've skeet shooted, but I I do love to fish on my buddy's ranches or uh, out in South Texas around Bandera, a little town called um, Tarpley. Oh yeah. And, uh, and do I have a buddy has a beautiful hundred acre ranch out there, family ranch out there. And then whenever I get down to the coast, Port Aransas is closest from San Antonio. So I've, uh, I've, you know, I've fished everything from silver King mackerel to unfortunately hardhead. <laughs> yeah. so, um, the accidental bycatch, the hardhead. When exactly. You're fishing for trout so, or redfish, um, yeah. I, um, my grandfather's hunted, but I, my dad never hunted. So I never had the opportunity to become a true hunter, but I've always been a, um, I always appreciate hunters and what they do, and and certainly been a lot. Hey, that's that's how I grew up, though. My dad, uh, a Baylor guy, just like yourself. Um, I mean, bass is king for him, and uh, I was real involved with sports, so I picked it up. I picked up hunting my sophomore year at Baylor. My buddies were like, back then it was a different dog. It was Maverick, and I got uh, I got the lab with a girlfriend, and she left, and the lab stayed, and and they were like, "Come on, bring your dog. We're going duck hunting," and I was like. No, I'm gonna drink beer and chase girls. You guys can. They're like, come on, come on. I said, okay. So I went. I didn't even have a shotgun. I went and bought a shotgun. You know, this is 15, 16 years ago, and uh, the dog was so gun shy. He didn't. He hated it. He hate, hated fireworks. And so I was like, this is not gonna be good for him. We started shooting and missing, and they were kind of new to it as well. And finally, by the grace of God, somebody knocked a duck down, and I let the dog up. We had to tie him to the blind because he wanted to run off. I let him off that chain, and he went and got that duck, and was never gun shy again. And I was just—that was the moment for me that changed my life, and was like, "I'm hooked." Now, wow. what else can we hunt? <laughs> you know, what's the next season? Um, and uh, and now we've got Bell here, who's in studio. Um, but yeah, so you're from Dallas, live in San Antonio, 
You mm-hmm. sent me an email saying yes. you, you're a longtime listener of the show, and and you like I use this alliteration. You know, uh, when I say here's what's going to be on the show today, uh, pull up your your seat, your stool a little closer to the campfire, grab that beat up old Stanley thermos, and pour yourself another cup of coffee. And uh, I guess that hit home for you because you've got quite a few Stanley thermoses. Cable, that's right, and exactly what you said. At, right after the new year, I was listening to you, and I go. Wow, I think Cable might need to hear, hear from me. So I, I have over fifty uh, Stanley thermoses right now, uh-huh. and it's the only thing I collect. So I hope I'll never be on that hoarder reality TV series. Right. right. Well, and I thought that was fascinating because I, I honestly, I mean, I know like my grandfather had one, but I didn't know the history behind the Stanley thermos. I just knew it kept my coffee warm and that I like it. You know, um, Cable, I, I didn't know it either. I um, about five years ago, my father died in the spring that summer i went to a state sale one block away from my place and uh, mm-hmm. saw an old stanley thermos uh probably a 1940s house and i uh, asked how much is that what's the lowest price on that thermos right there and uh the owner or the person who was running the state sales gave it to me for ten dollars uh-huh. so uh that when i uh picked up that old thermos i noticed there was a blue lining in it um she was saying cobalt and i I was hoping that wasn't some type of ice, radioactive isotope, and um, <laughs> and that uh, that started my curiosity, and so I started doing my research on the, on the internet and eBay, and realized that Stanleys have been made since 1913. 19 over a hundred years. Over a hundred years. That's incredible. And I um, at first I started grabbing oh I call them the kitschy thermoses that were in bright colors, you know, red and that had the glass lining, but uh. When I started doing my research, I re- you know, from my first Stanley thermos I bought it at HEB back in 1991, th- they're made of steel inside. Uh-huh. And uh, the inventor was named William Stanley. He was an engineer. He was actually an electrical engineer. And it's, and here's a side fact. His son was one of the founders of Morgan Stanley, huh. uh, you know, the financial um These company. are smart people. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, William Stanley created a – double lining of steel and um that blue cobalt color was actually porcelain and and uh so i i started realizing just besides the hammer tone green that's what the normal green stanley thermos is hammer tone green okay exactly what you have here is um that thing that started back in 1953 when they but um Stanley thermoses have been owned by four American companies. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, this I, is before the days of, like, uh, obviously, Bison Coolers, our longtime sponsor, and, and Yeti, and how... And, you know, before those companies, it was like it was Stanley and, like, Coleman, if you wanted a a, a, a cooler. Exactly. And so... Uh, but I started seeing, speci- you know, specifically on the uh, internet, just photos of water pitchers, you know, water jugs, coffee, big crafts that were used on airlines. Mm-hmm. And um, after uh, William Stanley, the production of these thermoses started what, really 1915, and he died about three years later. Mm-hmm. And another thermos company called Landers, Frey, and Clark picked them up and had them all the way up to 1965. Huh. And then um, a lot... Aladdin had them from 1965 up to 2001. Okay, interesting. Going back to those uh, to the Yetis and, the, and and Bisons and Arctic and all these other ones, we've seen this craze come up. They all have a like a tumbler now that'll keep your coffee hot for you know for a, a while. 
but it's just one cup of coffee and you can't just throw it in your blind bag because it's got a hole in it so you can drink out of it so that's why i think there's going to always be a place for this and i haven't seen any of these other more modern companies put out anything that would compete with this you know i haven't really either i i i'm not going to knock any company i think anything can keep anything warm but from uh stanley's selling point was uh they'll never break and they they're going to keep your liquid warm or cold depending what it is and uh i uh, my very first 1991 thermos um i know that that coffee the next morning was still hot yeah oh yeah i've left it so i've gone duck hunting with a full thermos used it left it in the truck you know it's 35 degrees outside gone duck hunting the next morning forgot to fill up the thermos and it was still hot not like piping hot but still like warm still warm you up and you know and there you go you know every, 24 hours there you, know? you go that you know that's a, that's a unique feature or or an or benefit as a dune sales everything has features but yeah the benefit of stanley is it's still going to keep hot or cold you know this is a, a company that uh has never given me a dollar but i think i'm gonna hit them up for advertising after this. <laughs> <laughs> i just like the thermos you know i think they're going like gangbusters all, yeah. all over the world actually awesome well um you know for most people one of these is enough I, you, unless you lose it like i lost my first one you, you don't need another one unless you're a collector so um tell me about your oldest piece and your rarest piece and then i want to know how how valuable some of these things are as well sure um i think my rarest piece is uh are the 1913 ones uh -huh. the, they say stanley but they say new york city new york so that was even before um it was established um to landers frank clark and my rarest ones i have one that looks like a canteen and it and it did not, you know, doing my research on the on the Stanley thermoses, um, you can find the date on the bottom of any type of Stanley thermos, and and the vast array of I don't know if that's the word, uh, the vast amount that I have over fifty thermoses now, uh -huh. you can find what year these thermoses are made. And so I have one that looked like a canteen, and I realized this was not a military canteen. And you know, you can Google anything, and finally I found out that really what that was was a bed warmer. You know, you put hot water and whether you're in a hospital bed or homesick with the flu you put it in between the mattress and the bed spring and it keeps the bed warm huh. and um i have uh what I, year was that one and that one was 1953 i um and so that that's a very rare one and then i have some that are uh you know look like silver that you would have you know out on your uh tables during uh, the holidays thanksgiving or christmas everything from a water pitcher to a coffee carafe and uh they're all used for fine dining i have a very rare one that's a they call it it's a pullman carafe it looks like a the old-fashioned milk bottle so to speak and I was watching an old movie with my mom over christmas and there was a stanley thermos right there on the movie in the right there on the set you know on the on the scene that i was watching oh right on right on yeah well i mean i collect baseball cards or i did i don't anymore actively when i was a kid i did and i have some very valuable baseball cards um what is the what's the value of some of these older stanley thermos boy you know that's a good question i um you know I, when you buy when you look on the sites that say rare you know anything can be rare sure but how much is the value i I try not to spend a lot of money on each one, you know, shipping costs, you know, if you buy them off a, 
you know, eBay or something, you know, can really, can be almost more than what you, right. you bid on. But uh, I think any of these are worth anywhere from 20 on up to hundreds of dollars. Uh-huh. And uh, I've been fortunate. I try not to spend more than $40 on any, anytime I see one that I don't have. Right. But you find a lot of them at estate sales where people don't know that this is maybe a collector's item. I saw one on a state sale and, uh, and you know, state sales usually run like a Thursday through the Sundays and yeah. your weekend is your half price days. And so I got that one probably for $8. It was a half price by the time I, and nobody realized <laughs> what it was, you know? So, so tell me about my Stanley thermos. You looked at it earlier uh, kind of cringed a little. Your Stanley thermos is, you know, I was, I'm glad to hear that holds coffee and it, um, and you've taken on, I can tell you've taken on quite a few hunting trips and, uh, on the bottom it's, uh, it is dated 2010 uh-huh. and, um, the Stanley thermoses are all dated, um, either with a letter, a number in a letter or usually the last two digits of the year. And, uh, some of my thermoses are a little hard. Uh, I have to do more research to figure out exact dates, but as I said, my thermoses go back from 1913, 1930s, 1940s, 50s, 60s, and and all the way up to the, uh, you know, 80s. Yeah. But to, why did you cringe? Because well, I, I guess because it, it's made in China now, and yeah. and I um and so if I, you go to Walmart these days, and you, pick you go up to Walmart, you're gonna pick it up, uh, and the Stanley thermoses are are made in China, and I guess that's the only reason. I, you but know, it wasn't I, always that way, obviously. It was no it, the um, as I said, uh, after uh, William Stanley passed away, and uh, you know, it's Landers, Frank Clark, and then Aladdin. You know, there was American made. And so, he, what year do I need to go get on? I need to get on eBay and get myself one that's American made. Anything before two thousand one. Two thousand one. American okay. made, and you can find. You and can, you say they're better. I I say they're better. I think they hold coffee much better. I think they hold your cold iced tea or lemonade, and. Um, and you can even the one even the ones in the eighties are a little bit um, thicker, and those are the ones you can really hold your soup in. But these certainly hold your soup in too. Um, some of these, not not this particular model, but uh, Stanley was very involved with our military as well. You know, he really was. It's um, you know they had the water jugs. I have one that is just about two and a half feet tall, and at this moment I can't tell you how many you know how many gallons that is, but that'll feed. At least one troop, you know, one troop after they've gone out for a run or something early in the morning, and um, there's they've been used for um, air flight. I have two of them. One silver. It goes back from 1913. It has a little um, turn knob at the very top, right where the cup is, and that's to pressurize the coffee. I uh, hmm. I bet on a bad day if you had if you open it up wrong, that pressure would come out just like a soft drink. You know? <laughs> Right, right. Um, so you've got fifty of these, and, and you said your oldest one was was which model? My, I have, I have anywhere from four to five, and I have one. Uh, it's probably at my doorstep back in San Antonio right now. <laughs> that are nineteen thirteen. Nineteen. So they like the originals. Like the originals. The mm-hmm. one I have from nineteen thirteen is a nautical one, that is like on a rocker, and so it, this, if you can picture the Stanley, and then just um, what would be like the like our stomach, it rocks back and forth so it was obviously something you could screw down on um on wood on a ship and then just pour open up the cup and pour the coffee out that way so interesting i'm waiting when i get back to san antonio to see that one <laughs> i was looking at the pictures you sent me 
which you know you told me had this collection and then you, you followed up with some of these pictures which i found very interesting and, and much like an old firearm will get a patina on it uh-huh uh, some of your your stanley thermoses have uh interesting patinas going on you know there is one that just really looks like it's a copper color and um and you know any antique dealer anybody who said don't don't clean up you know something i and i know that's true with guns you know yeah. you don't clean the patina off that gives it the character and it shows the history of a and so i have quite a few of those a few of the stanleys um in regular shapes that are just beautiful colors from blue green uh silver i'm still hunting for an old red one but mm. i don't have that one yet as far as the innovation in the design i mean the thing i, I love about the uh the stanley is you know it's got your your cup right here so in the original 1913s, did it have a cup? Yes, they did. And, yes. So that's the that's like the innovation that I, I really like. Other than the fact that it keeps your uh, your drink piping hot, but there's not a better sound than that right there. There's not, and it you know it's if, a hot cup of coffee out of the Stanley thermos. You know, if you kind of look at the Stanley thermos, it's bullet shape. You know, it it kind of reminds you of a bullet, mm. so it's great. And um, the original 1913 thermoses, I believe, up to the 50s were instead of the plastic stopper they have wood stoppers and i have quite a few and you can see the faded s that is still stamped on that cork <laughs> well there's a it's kind of like a um, cast iron skillet you know i don't ever i know i mean i rinse it out but i'll never like soap and water i like the i think it adds more character to your to your coffee when you when you have years worth of buildup in there you know i i have to <laughs> tend to agree you know i think just one rinse of of uh hot water and i think you're ready to go and pour your next drink and there's no there's no whiskey i mean there's no there is sometimes whiskey in it but there's no uh no cream or sugar ever in mind it's just black because my grandfather who probably you know was the first time i ever saw a stanley thermos he said uh son why are you putting all that cream and sugar in your coffee i said i don't know i think it tastes better he goes drink it like a man and drink it black and you know you're a kid and you want to impress your granddad and i was like all right and so i did and i never looked back so there has been whiskey in there occasionally <laughs> but uh yeah it's just black for me so well carter i uh i certainly have enjoyed this this interview it's something that you know i talk about every week but really had no idea about the history of it and uh i think a lot of outdoorsmen um will find it fascinating so okay well i hope so and i really appreciate you having me on the show i as I've said, I'm a long-time listener, and I've just enjoyed it, and I'll keep on listening. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for dropping by. Thank you. All right, Carter Copeland, who made the long five-hour haul from San Antonio all the way up to our studio here in North Texas. We certainly appreciate that. Man, that was uh, that was interesting. As someone who never heads into the woods, and certainly not the duck blind without my Stanley Thermos. Uh, really enjoyed that hope you all did as well that segment of the show was brought to you by first light you know that i recently switched over to first light as far as all of my outdoor apparel goes and uh, next week we'll even have first lights ryan callahan on to talk about their layer system and their merino wool which they are the merino wool company that's how they got started uh, now they've got a full lineup of outerwear and hunting gear as well. And you can find it all at firstlight.com. And that's the only place you'll find it, actually. So check it out. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our guests today. Of course, Carter Copeland. Also, Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. And our good friend, Chris Lutzinger of Cinnamon Creek Archery. Uh, enjoyed talking urban coyote trapping with him. 
Uh, we will do it again same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Cause I've got memories to burn